there, and uh, I'd like to read with you uh, the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 10. Mass Exodus for Bibles, well done. that's what I like to see. I'm reading from uh, the New Living Translation. Lord, would you bless this word to us as we read it now and as we think about what it says and as we apply it to our lives. The Lord now chose 72 others, other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is so great but the workers are so few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into his fields. Go now and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take along any money or traveler's bag or even an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter a town, give it your blessing. If those who live there are worthy, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. When you enter a town, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide for you. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality. Pray, uh, because those, those who work deserve their pay. If a town welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, and heal the sick. As you heal them, say, the kingdom of God is near you. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe the dust of your town from our feet as a public announcement of your doom. And don't forget the kingdom of God is near. The truth is even the wicked Sodom will be better off, on, uh, better off than such a town on judgment day. What horrors await you, Gorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did, in, uh, I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have sat in deep repentance long ago, clothed in sackcloth and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on the judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, you'll be exalted in heaven. Will you be exalted in heaven? No. You'll be brought down to the place of the dead. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accept, accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting the God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan falling from heaven and a great flash of lightning, and I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Okay, I want to um, uh, look at this passage tonight just for a few minutes and bring out some uh, points for us uh, to think about. Just before I get there, um, to say if you've not yet been to a welcome supper, I uh, want to encourage you to the next one. It's on Monday the 19th of September. That's a date for your diary. Please put it in your diary. So if you are new or relatively new to the church and you'd like to know a little bit more about us, uh, please put that date in your diary. We'll invite you. You're invited to a meal. It's, there's no payment needed. You just come along. We give you a really good meal and um, 
you get to meet some of the leaders of the church and uh, we're able to tell you a little bit about the vision and values and uh, converse with you throughout the evening. Uh, it's a great way of, of rooting into who we are here at St. Paul's. Okay, so uh, it is said that most preachers only ever have one sermon. That's, I don't know if that's true or not. You can make that judgment. Most preachers, they say, only ever have one sermon. This is what I do know. They're in good company. Because it seems to me that Jesus only ever had one sermon. And his sermon had the same title every time. It was always about the kingdom of God. That's all he ever spoke about. That's all he ever demonstrated. That's all he ever explained to people. It was all about the kingdom of God. People were busy doing their kingdom stuff, building their own kingdom, whether it be um, a, a religious kingdom with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, whether it be a, 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 a consumerist kingdom building up their own resources and stacking things up for the future. And he comes and he says, there's, there's, there's another kingdom. And it's the kingdom of God that I want you to know about. And he described it in different ways. He says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a farmer who goes into a field and scatters his seed. And some of it falls on good soil and some of it falls on the path and some of it falls among, among the rocky ground and some of it falls among weeds. And that that takes root grows and the, the crop is multiplied many times over. Or he says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a mustard seed, which seems so tiny at the time, but grows into this enormous plant. Or he says it's like this. It's like the kingdom of God is like yeast that you put in a dough that causes the dough to rise. It's a, it's a tiny ingredient in the larger loaf, but it's the tiny ingredient that makes the significant difference. Or he says the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. And a man discovers, discovers it and in his excitement sells everything he has to go and get the treasure. Or the kingdom of God is like this, it's like a pearl uh, which the merchant has been looking for all his life. And when he discovers the pearl, he sells everything he has to own that pearl of great price. Or the kingdom of God is like this, it's like a net that's thrown out and it catches lots and lots of fish. And he's, uh, the net is dragged in, and when it's dragged in, there are fish of all kinds in the net. And they pull it up on shore and sit down and sort the fish. The kingdom of God is all about this relationship with our Heavenly Father. In the kingdom of God, there is a connection with our Heavenly Father. In the kingdom of God, there's a different perspective on the world, both on the troubles and the joys of the world. That's the message that Jesus brought. When he started teaching about it, he not only taught about it, but he started doing it and demonstrating this message that he had. He went out and he healed the sick. He made people well again. People who were excluded from society, he included in society. When he ushered this kingdom in, it brought good news to people. And not everybody willingly accepted it. He tells a story of a king who was giving a banquet. And uh, he sent the invitations out to those who had every right to come to the kingdom. And they 
gave their excuses. They said, I'm terribly sorry, I can't come. I've got too much on this week. I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or I'm doing the other. And he said, well, let's ignore those then. And let's go out into the highways and the byways and every corner that we can. And let's drag people into the kingdom of God. Wherever he went with this kingdom of God, he brought good news. It was always good news. And through his time on earth, he trained up and encouraged the disciples with the same message. As the Father sent me, he says, so I send you. The great commission at the end, go into all the world and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of them. He said, I'm sending you to be messengers of the kingdom of God. And the first time he sent his disciples out, he sends out the twelve. That's in Luke chapter 9. We're in Luke chapter 10 tonight, but it was in Luke chapter 9. He sends out uh, the disciples. And this is what he does with the disciples in Luke chapter 9. He sends them back to the places where he's already been ministering. So Jesus has been ministering an area, he's been uh, healing the sick, he's been casting out demons, he's been seeing good news come in people's lives. And, and having left the area, he sends 12 of them back, and they go back and uh, they continue the work of Jesus. They repeat what he's been doing. The people already have experienced it, so there's some anticipation, there's an expectation of this happening, and they're able to do it amongst them. Then they come back to Jesus full of joy. They're saying, you know, this, this kingdom of God stuff works. When we pray for people to be healed, they're healed. When we, when we ask for the kingdom to come, the kingdom comes. When we cast demons out, the demons leave. There's something significant about this kingdom ministry. And then we get to Luke chapter 10, and instead of sending them to a place where he's already been, he sends them on ahead of him to where he's not yet been. So now he sends them cold calling. He says, you ought to go where I've not yet been, where they've not yet seen, where they've got no experience, where the anticipation isn't necessarily there, where news has not necessarily got to them yet. And I'm sending you off, I'm sending you off, to do the same thing again. And Jesus' ministry is gaining momentum at this point and he is trying to share it out. He says, look, it's not just about me doing it, but it's about you guys doing it, the 72. And it's not just about them doing it, but he commissions us to do it as well. He invites us to be part of this army of people who take this good news out to the community. And so, I think that this passage is quite important because it gives us some direction of what we are to do, how we're to go, the way in which we're to take this message out. If Jesus is commissioning his 72 and he's saying, go and do this, then that's worth listening to because that's also how we should go. So what does it say? It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into his fields. My first point this evening is this. The first thing he instructs them to do is to be a people who are sent in prayer. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, he says. 
Before you do anything, before you meet anybody, before you converse with anybody, before you step into any place, be a person of prayer. Be someone who's already connecting with your Heavenly Father. Be someone who is praying. Prayer is key to the Christian life. Prayer is key to everything that we do. Prayer is key in our lives. It's almost as important as breathing. To be a people of prayer is to be, is to be somebody who invites God into every situation. Inviting God into being with us. It's not necessarily about kneeling down to pray. It's not necessarily about doing anything different, but about just being a person who prays for somebody. If they've got a need, I'll pray for you. Um, I was up in eating with them. My daughter on Friday, we were just um, doing a a few odds and ends and we had to pop into a little jewellery shop to pick up something that my wife had put in there to get mended. And uh, the lady in there, the the shop assistant in there, she's going in for an operation on Wednesday. And she wasn't standing very comfortably. So we asked her what it was about and heard a little bit about it. And I said to her, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, that'd be nice. So I just stepped behind the counter and prayed for her. I didn't think she, I didn't think she thought I was going to step behind the counter. I think she thought I was going to go home and pray for her. But, but you know, that's all we're to do. That's all we're to do, just to pray. Just let it be part of our everyday lives. Let's pray for these people. Let's pray for anything that moves. Sandy Miller used to say that, the vicar of HTB. He just used to say, if it moves, pray for it. And I think that's great advice. If it moves, pray for it. Pray for anything that happens. That's what we're to be about. We're to be a people of prayer. And and Jesus here is sending the disciples out. He's saying, look, before you do anything, in any way that you're going, be a person of prayer. Prayer is key to the kingdom of God. And like the disciples were sent, then we're also sent. And we're sent to be a people who, as we go, we go in prayer. As we go, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Lord, what have you got in store for me today? What opportunity might there be? What change can I bring about? What difference could I make? Because you're with me. You know, it's a very significant thing that we take the presence of God with us into every situation that we are. It's a very significant thing. And we can have conversations that are just everyday conversations, or we can have conversations in which we invite God in, and an eternal difference could be made. So to be somebody who is constantly open to prayer. I'm struck by the great disciple Paul, who, as you know, in Acts chapter 9, was thrown to the ground by a great flash of light, and... and, um, as he falls to the ground, it's, it's uh, God who puts him there. But it reads in the passage that he cries out, Who are you, Lord? And the reply is, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. But I, I don't think Paul ever goes beyond that statement. Who are you, Lord? Who are you in this situation? Who are you in that situation? The cry of prayer that can go out. Lord, there's someone here who needs help. Who are you here as you come in? How might you change this situation uh, for the better? 
I think Paul was constantly in prayer. As you read his epistles, you'll see that he says again and again and again and again, I pray, I pray for you, I'm praying for you, I'm constantly praying for you. Pray to God with everything and and in everything and in every way. Put prayer right at the top of the agenda. No wonder he made such an impact. No wonder he made such a difference. He was such a man who was rich in prayer. We're told that he got up early. Jesus himself modelled prayer, didn't he? We're told he got up early in the morning. He retreated to pray. Before he wanted to make any major decision, he went up mountains to pray. He, he, he went to quiet places to pray. Prayer was key to his life. If you jump from Luke chapter 9 through 10 through to Luke chapter 11, you'll see at the beginning of Luke chapter 11, um, the disciples ask Jesus that one question. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They've seen already how significant this is in his life. They've seen that actually everything he does is done out of this place of prayer and that they also need to learn about prayer. And so they say, Lord, you teach us how to pray. And he says, this is how you're to pray, he says. Father, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come soon. Give us our food day by day. And forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sinned against us and don't let us yield to temptation. So the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples, as they're going ahead of him, cold calling, not going into an unreached area, they're going in prayer. He says, the first thing, I send you, but I send you in prayer. Be a praying people. Secondly, they're sent in faith. Verse 3 says this, Go now and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take along any money or a traveller's bag or even an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. We're sent, secondly, in faith. First was, first was sent in prayer. Secondly, we're sent in faith. Jesus describes it as sending us out like lambs among wolves. Sending us out feeling inadequate. Sending us out feeling we don't have all the right answers or all the best answers. Knowing that we're not equipped enough. We're sent though, aren't we, we? with just our story of God at work in our lives. We're sent relying on God. The Lord's Prayer is absolutely key in understanding this. The Lord, Jesus teaches, he says, this is what you're to pray, Lord, give me enough for today, bread for today. Just enough for today. Enough for today means I've got to rely on you for tomorrow. Enough for today means that my hand will be tight on you. It resonates so much through my life. Help us just to get through today, because tomorrow is another day. But so often our focus... Our focus is actually on we need enough food for today, tomorrow, next week and next year. I, I'm, I, I was um, reflecting with Lynn's, my wife, recently that, you know, that it's like everything's getting bigger. The supermarket trolleys are getting bigger. It's true. The wine glasses are bigger. You know, everything's getting bigger. They, they haven't made the pint beer glasses bigger yet because they're only pint beer glasses. But everything else is getting bigger. It's like we need more. You need more to fill it all up. You walk around with your big trolley and you think, well, I haven't got much in there. I better put some more things in, you know. We, 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 we stack up. We stack up and we provide, not just for today, but we provide 
for the coming week and the coming month and the coming year. And we put stuff by. We have a... a no, I won't tell you that. But we, the, 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 thing, the thing is, we, we, you know, we just have enough today. That's what we're called out. We're sent out in faith having to rely on God. He says, don't take along any extra money, any traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals. Don't get so busy packing the bag. Just go. Just go simply. Go with the message. There there used to be a little saying, live simply that others will simply live. In other words, have the right focus. Live simply that others will simply live. Not, not going with all the baggage, not going with everything else cluttering our lives, but just going with the simple message of the gospel. That actually hand in hand with Jesus will be alright. It's a simple message, but it's a great message. Go in faith, he says. Go in faith, feeling inadequate, not sure that you've got enough. Go, go just hand in hand, thinking I've got to rely on God for this. And he says, don't stop and greet anyone along the road, doesn't he? Sounds terribly unfriendly. You know, don't, don't stop and talk to anybody. Just go, you know, to where I'm sending you. But I, I think probably what he's saying is don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't get knocked off course. You know, we're, we're called to go with this incredible message. Don't get sidetracked doing other things. Go with the message. And I sometimes wonder whether in the church, if perhaps sometimes we've got that a bit wrong. We get sidetracked with all sorts of things, you know, of religion. But actually, we're called to be simple Christians, living simply with a simple faith that brings, it's actually a a, a message that brings power and changes people's lives. He says, go first in prayer. And secondly, he says, go in faith. Next, thirdly, he says, go in peace. Look at verse 5. He says, whenever you enter a home, give it your blessing. If those who live there are worthy, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. When you enter a town, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide you. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. We're sent in peace. We're sent to bring peace into people's homes. We're sent to be a blessing. When you go, he says, when you go, go praying for those you're going to. When you go, he says, go relying on me. When you go, he says, go be a person of peace. Go bring God's blessing to the place that you're going to. The church can so often be seen as an organisation that stands in judgement on others, that brings bad news into people's lives. Actually, we're supposed to be gossipers of good news. We're supposed to be people of good news. We're supposed to be a blessing to people around us, that uh, as our lives are poured out for them, their lives might be blessed. So when we go somewhere, people should know that the presence of God is there because we've turned up. That's what we're supposed to be like. Not a people who are constantly saying everything else or anybody else is wrong, but let's go and be a blessing. And I think that's an enormous challenge. When we go into our home, we should bring God's blessing to it. When we go into our friends' homes, we bring God's blessing to it. When we go into our family's homes or our neighbours' homes, we bring God's blessing to it. 
We can pray silently that the love of God, the peace of God, will be in their homes and that the blessing of God will be on their place. What a lovely thing to think that we're going to be blessing others with the presence of God. When I was first uh, training in church leadership, I worked in a church in Surrey and uh, there was this incredible godly woman there and um, uh, she was, every Sunday, she was just praying for people and blessing people. She, was, she did everything she could to help people. She was a, a, a marvellous woman. And she got sick and she phoned me up uh, one day and she said, Mark, will you, will you come and anoint me because I'm sick? So I'm okay. And uh, so I took my Bible and took some oil and I thought, I'll go and anoint her. And um, I got to see her and she lived in this place and she had um, one room that had its bed and its kitchen in and it had everything in it, just this tiny room and she shared a bathroom up the road with others. And as we were talking, she told me about her life and her marriage and her family and everything else. And I said, well, I said, that, when do they come and visit you? How do you fit them in? Do they ever come to stay? And um, she told me a lot about them. She said, no, I tend to go to them now. She said, but no, I sold the home because uh, I found that other people needed more space than I did. She said, I just needed a room. When I was on my own, she said, there was no point in having a big house, was there? I just needed a room. So she says, so I sold the house and gave the money away. And she lived in this tiny room. And I, I thought, I felt about that big. I thought, that's extraordinary. Here's this lady, she was probably about 80 at the time. And she said, well, I didn't need a big house. I thought I'd share it with others. Oh, what an amazing thing. She, she took the blessing of God into other people's homes, and she took it to a complete extreme. But what an example to so many. I don't need that, Mark. I just need a room. She said, I've got hot water. She had a gala, gala gas cooker. I'm thinking, you haven't even got running gas in this place. She said, no. She said, they're very good, the hardware shops. She said, they deliver the bottles. I was thinking, my word. All your life, raised four children she had. All her life. And she reduced herself down to one little room. What? Why? So that she could bless others. We're called to be a blessing. What a challenge that is. That we take something of the blessing of God into people's lives. You know, Jesus' life was always geared towards blessing other people. And here he is encouraging his disciples, right at the beginning, when he's sending them out, before they've done any ministry, by saying, I'm sending you first in prayer, I'm sending you secondly in faith. Just enough for today. Don't get all busy with everything else. Just enough for today. And I'm sending you thirdly to be a blessing. Don't go condemning people. And notice that Jesus didn't do that. Notice that Jesus didn't go around going, you're a sinful lot, what are you on about? He didn't do that. He went around saying, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. It's so attractive you'll want to leave your current way of life and step into this way of life. Let me tell you about how God wants to give you life in all its fullness. And let me demonstrate that to you when I, when I pray for you in your life. So attractive was the kingdom of God in his life. He didn't need to go around telling people where they'd gone wrong. 
People were drawn to him. I, I find it an extraordinary thing that actually when Jesus was on earth, the outcasts and the, the, the broken and the forgotten and the struggling and the, the, those who were in, in different ways of life for all sorts of reasons, the prostitutes and the, the, the thieves and everything, they came to him. They came to him. There was something about him that said, gosh, you've got something. You've got something that we could do with. He, was a, he lived a life as a blessing to others. So we're to go in prayer, in faith, and as a blessing. And then it goes on, it says, uh, uh, verse 8, and If a town welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you and heal the sick. As you heal them, say, the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into the streets and say, We wipe the dust of your town from our feet as a public announcement of your doom. And don't forget, the kingdom of God is near. The truth is, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. Thirdly, we're sent to bring the kingdom of God. And, and some of those verses sound pretty harsh, and it goes on and sounds even harsher as we read it. But let's deal with a positive side first. The kingdom of God is near, he says. Go take the kingdom of God. In other words, the same message that he's been preaching and promoting, he says, I want you to take that same message. No other message, just that message. The message of the kingdom of God. And if a town welcomes you, he says, well, heal the sick. What a lovely thing. If someone welcomes you, you go, well, do you need prayer? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you that the Lord will make you well. Let, let's be bold. Let's, let's be able to be bold in prayer and pray those prayers. The, the more we pray them, the more we're going to see God at work. The, the less we pray them, the less we'll see God at work. I had a lovely conversation with a church leader over the summer. He said to me, he said, Mark, um, this is at New Wine, he said to me, Mark, you don't really believe that God heals today, do you? I said, well, I do actually. I, I do. I said, an extraordinary thing as it is. I actually do believe he heals today. I didn't like to tell him I've got lots of personal examples of healing, so he can't. He's on rocky ground, really. But anyway, we started this conversation. And I said to him, I, I find that the more I pray for it, the more it happens. He says, oh, well, I don't pray for it. I don't believe in it. I said, well, that's your problem. <laughs> if you don't pray for it, it's not going to happen. I said, but if you pray for it, it might happen. So the, the, trouble, the trouble is, he's a dear friend. I said, Anthony, the trouble is, the trouble is, you think you know what God thinks. I said, you don't know. I said, I pity your church. Really? Because you don't know it all. What, what if you're just a little bit wrong? What if God's bigger than you think he is? What if you can't limit him to the words that you put around him? What if he might heal? Well, we went on and had a longer conversation about it after that, which I won't explain to you. But, but the thing is this, the thing is this, if people welcome you, well, why not pray for it? Pray for God's healing to come. Pray for his kingdom to come. And as we heal the sick, he says, as you come in prayer and faith and peace, then you will bring the kingdom of God. You will welcome the stranger. You'll embrace the lonely. You will heal the broken. You will lift up the lost. You will bring the kingdom of God in. You will see God's healing come. I think people like that will be welcomed. I think if we go like that, if we go as Jesus told us to go, 
You know, if we, we don't want to be like someone who stands outside a station going, repent today for tomorrow you die. We don't want to do that. I don't find that very attractive, do you? I'm thinking, I don't want to be part of that. But if we go, if we go prayerfully and peacefully and as a blessing, with the one message that Christ came and brought the kingdom of God, then people are going to go, I want to listen to that. There's something good about that. People don't want to hear us when we come in judgment. They want to hear us when we come with good news. But he does tell them that the message he wants them to take has a choice. Either to receive the good news or not. And there is another side to it. If we reject it, if you experience and receive the good news and people come in in an attitude of prayer and faith and peace and in so doing they usher the kingdom of God into their lives, then that's all good news. But if you do reject it, there's another story. I don't know if we fully know what all of that means. I know that we worship a loving, awesome, almighty God who wants the best for us. And that we have a message of good news to bring to people around. I know that there is a challenge. It says in Matthew 25 that there's a separation of the sheep and the goats. And the Lord will say to some people, when, when I was hungry, you, you didn't feed me. And when I was thirsty, you didn't offer me a drink. And when I was a stranger, you didn't embrace me. And I don't welcome you either. But to the others, he'll say, I welcome you. To those who live this kingdom, who bring this kingdom. And our responsibility is to let people know that, that there's this opportunity to live life in such a way that we can be this enormous blessing to others. And the message we have is a message about inclusivity. It's a message about helping the least and the last and the lost. It's a message about embracing the stranger and welcoming and helping the homeless. The message about feeding the hungry and healing the sick. The message is about justice and mercy. It's a message of pure good news in people's lives. And I think if we present it in the way that Jesus presented it, it seems to me that it's a message that is received warmly and openly by so many people. And it's no surprise, is it, that when we get to the end of the passage, it says when the 72 disciples returned, they would joyfully reported to him, Lord, you won't believe this. Even the demons fled in your name. This was great fun. Something powerful happened when the kingdom of God is preached. Something powerful happens when we demonstrate the kingdom of God. Something powerful happens when we use the name of Jesus. I think it's a terrific challenge to us. And he says at the end of the passage, he says there's a warning from Jesus here to the disciples. He says, um, uh, don't get all uppity, he says, really, doesn't he? He says, don't get all uppity, that, that don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. He says, don't, don't think that you've got it all right and that everything's, every, you've got it all mapped out and tied up and neatly packaged with a bow on the top. Don't think that. He says, always come with bread for today, relying on me in faith, coming in prayer. Don't rejoice in what you've done, but rejoice that your name is included in the kingdom of God and that you can go out and include others in this one, with this wonderful message of the kingdom of God in their lives.
So go, he says. It seems to me this is the pattern. He says, go. Go first in prayer. Go secondly in peace. Go thirdly in faith. And go fourthly with one simple message. The message of the kingdom of God. Let's not confuse it with anything else. Let's take that simple message. And if we take that simple message with those things ahead of it, I think that we lay the ground for the message to be received into people's hearts. And our, our desire, isn't it, is that people who, who hear the message will receive it for themselves and know the goodness of God in their own lives. Let's stand together, shall we? Father,